This is the Drive-In Podcast. Take one. Bada bing, bada boom. Welcome to episode 137 of the Drive-In Podcast. On today's episode, we have the checkup with yours truly, Dr. O, along with our trailer roundup featuring Disney's trailer for Pinocchio. So use the bathroom now, grab that popcorn, and enjoy episode 137 of the Drive-In Podcast. Howdy, duty. Welcome to episode 137 of TDI. This is Dr. O on the horn. I'm joined by the one and only, my best friend, my co-host, Ricky Flex. How are you, my friend? How has the week been treating you so far? Day late in the checkup this week. Day late. Tough news week. Tough news week. Kind of slow. I would say slow. Got some trailers, though. Trailer roundup's good. Caught up on a little... On some uh, streaming, though, slow so news, you- more time available, more streaming for Ricky Flex. So I was gonna say, Ricky, since it's a slow news day, I thought we could catch up a little bit on what we've been watching. So, you said you've been streaming a little bit. Can you enlighten the audience what you've been watching? Well, first, I need to make a request here on the Drive In Podcast. I need to request a doc talk on Manti Teo, the girlfriend that never exists. You know what, Ricky Flex? I watched it today. Wow. What a doc. Two-parter. So two hours total, one hour each. The first part, going over the life of Manti. If you haven't seen it, going over the life, right? High school, how he got to Notre Dame, where Notre Dame was at the time, what they used to be, what they're trying to become, right? Kind of what you already know. And you, everyone knows from the title, The Girlfriend That Doesn't Exist. But I think what separates this is like they get almost everybody back that had any sort of part in this, right? And they get Manti Teo opening up his parents and they get the girl, the transgender now girl. It used to be Renaya, now it's Lenny or Lenny. I think it's Raya. I think it's Raya now. Oh, Raya. Yeah. Tuiasa Sopo. Just absolutely wild. Deep, obviously, it was deep story, but they even got the dead spin reporters, how that came to be, their thought process through it. I love that, even though there are question marks around that. A doc talk is in order. So, Ricky Flex, I do have some notes from this documentary because I thought I knew all that I needed to know going into this documentary. So, I was looking for those moments where I can be enlightened a little bit, maybe hear a different side of this story because we've heard the Manti Teo side and we have our own opinions of what happened. And you're right, like seeing the Raya Tuiasa Sopo aspect really changed the game. And it really made me think that she is one of the worst people to have ever lived. That she, she definitely thinks that, oh, like this documentary, the way I'm going to come out of this, like people are going to like view me as like not a bad person. I think less of her after watching this by a lot more. I felt bad for her. Not anymore. 
I like I, I as in like what she did to Manti Teo. Like I used to be like sentimental towards her until I saw this doc. Like I think I might have made a turn. I was never sentimental towards her. Uh, uh, catfish. They made it seem like catfishing didn't exist. That definitely existed back in 2011, 2012. Like catfish was a show on MTV back in 2011, 2012. Don't <laughs> act like that stuff didn't exist. Right. I believe I'm dating myself correctly, but also it just really grinded my gears. As one Peter Griffin said, when she was at the end saying like, I hope this, uh, people see me on this stage right now and there'll be people in the transgender community. They're going to be able to step forward and look at like what I was able to do and the courage that I was able to show. I was like, dude, this person literally ruined a person's life and not just any person, a Heisman trophy finalist and someone that had a promising career as a football star. And that really, he was the one that potentially could have made a difference in so many different people's lives. And yet, these last 10 years, he's almost been forced into hiding a little bit. And mm. he's been, and he's also, he's talked about the mental struggles that have um, resulted from this entire situation with Tuiasa Sopo and Manti Teo. And I think also by watching this documentary, I always question, like, okay, so you had this girlfriend for a year. I, I always thought it was like the three year type of relationship. They kind of take it through that, like that time frame. But at the same time, it wasn't Manti Teo's girlfriend that entire portion, right? They were just online friends, eventually developed this relationship. So I was always wondering, like, how did, like, Manti Teo's parents never ask about this situation? That was explained in the documentary. You have the friends of Manti Teo that I would automatically question, like, how come I've never seen your girlfriend? But then also his friend, his best buddy on the football team, also his childhood friend, right? Never also had a long distance relationship and he only saw his girlfriend twice a year. So the more that they explained the situation, the more sympathetic I became for Manti Teo and the more I just absolutely despised Tuiasa Sopo because the mental struggles Teo had and then like also impacting like that was, that was so huge. It was right after the national championship game when this all broke. It really took me back to like my latter years of high school because everyone thought so negatively of Manti Teo and people thought like people were questioning, maybe it's just like uh, something that he orchestrated himself and like trying mm. to orchestrate this whole, um, we live in a conspiracy type of atmosphere now, but trying to orchestrate a Heisman campaign, right. For the upcoming season, they go undefeated. And then he's one of the top three when Manziel wins the Heisman, but like he was such an upstanding citizen and the end of it and he's a man of religion and he wants to believe in god and faith and and there this person is really like leaning into that and taking advantage of manti tail for their own benefits like their own emotional benefit so to me despicable person like literally in any movie i've seen this year i don't think including like tom hanks in elvis i don't think i hated tom Hanks as much as I hate Raya Tuiasa. That's saying a lot. She is a despicable person, but you know what, Ricky Flux? I also got to say about this documentary, my favorite portion is actually one that made me laugh a little bit. It's when Dr. Phil came yeah. into this documentary. Dr. Phil. Just laid Maybe it on the table. Boom. 
This is uh, this is this is what these are my findings. I interviewed Tuiasa Sopo. Totally forgot that happened in general. But to me, I was just like, oh my god, Doctor Phil's in on this. Now you got me locked in. I had to, I had to rewind a little bit because I was doing some blogging as like this documentary was going on in the background. I'm like, oh my god, Doctor Phil's out. What the hell? I gotta listen up. You know, whenever Doctor Phil's talking, you get like, the audience needs to put everything down and pay attention. <laughs> no, I think I, I echo all your thoughts. I think. The one thing that I was kind of I wanted more closure on, and the one person they didn't have on was when uh, Tuyasa Sopo was catfishing Teo, the woman in the pictures, and they didn't have Netflix didn't get her to, or get her to come on, but they showed an old interview that she did for like five seconds. That would have been great if they they needed her. more on that. I had I have so many questions. Like, how has her life changed? Like, I need to know more. The, the picture when, like, no, no spoilers, I guess, but, like, there's a picture. <laughs> I, I, I can't even say it without saying spoilers. But there's insane things that happen with that person live, like, with Toyasa Sopo connection over Facebook and stuff like that. I need to know more from her side. And we didn't get anything. And I, I yeah. think that was, like, the one thing I wish I saw more of. But all in all, I did like the documentaries a lot. Highly recommend. Imagine seeing your picture everywhere and people just don't associate your name with that picture. Like that person. It's a Netflix documentary. Her name was like her name was like Andrea or something. But like you are officially Linnea Kakua to the public following this anti Manti Teo situation. <laughs> like her, like no, you could like your friends know you as your name. But everyone's going to recognize that picture and say you're Linnea Kakua. Yeah, even then, though they didn't the, exist. And then Manti Teo's cousin, who said he knew her, I need more questions for him. They brought him on for one question. He was on for one question just to confirm that Manti Teo texted him or Facebook messaged him, and he said yes, and I knew and I knew her. You clearly yeah. didn't. So I have more questions for you, sir. So there, what's going on? There were also I want to point out a couple the doc talk. If I was writing a blog, it's a verbal blog right now. A couple jaw dropping moments aside from Dr. Phil, because that one, like Dr. Phil, take your breath away. Just look at the man. Um, so the fact that they came face to face with the build a bear story, yes. the fact that they hugged and, and, uh, Tuiasa Sopo said, uh, he at the time felt nothing when he hugged him. I'm just like, that's like, I would have been more, Red flag. sympathetic if you actually like were emotional about it and saying wow this is the person i've been talking to for three years but the fact that uh tuiasa sopa says she felt nothing right from that situation and i just felt terrible for manti teo who's just lost his grandmother now he's dealing with the loss of his girlfriend and how, he's finally like coming to terms with all of this yeah go ahead how about tuiasa sopa got her niece to yeah. go to build a bear, build a teddy bear just for Manti Teo. That's it's, despicable on all regards. It's regard. evil. The it's highest regard. borderline diabolical. Like literally Ridiculous. is. She messaged this girl that we were just talking about, the person in the pictures, to just do like a thumbs up and send a picture for Manti Teo. Like how crazy is this woman? I, and then the other jaw-dropping moment that I need to bring up. I'm trying to think about it um dead dead not dead dead not dead. yes you're right it's when they're on when i kept on like trying snip to snap, picture like trying to picture yourself in a situation imagine you are manti teo on the phone supposedly talking to the cousin and then all of a sudden your dead girlfriend just says it's me 
it's me. And then I'm just like, what the hell? And that I almost laughed a little bit because that's when Manti Teo put the phone down. He said he hung up immediately because I'd be like, dude, am I dreaming? Am I seeing ghosts? Am I haunted? Like, what the hell is happening right now? Like, that is as much as like that's like a not funny situation, <laughs> judging by like the magnitude of it with a national championship game coming up and you're a Heisman finalist. It is kind of hilarious. Your dead girlfriend's like, I'm not dead. To me, that is just banana lands but i i kind of wanted to finish up this doc talk it's um I, I i think this is a documentary that when you ask somebody what sports doc do you want to see everyone wanted to see a manti teo doc because they wanted to hear both sides and they also just wanted to know more about a situation that we had very surface level information of and it was a lot of just like public discourse and people are just going to think whatever they want to think it's important that we hear manti teos like side in this situation uh and i think it also shows the power of storytelling to be honest not to get too deep here but if this doc isn't told we don't understand and then we don't understand manti Teo, and he kind of fades off and then we remember him uh as someone where we question his sexuality where we question how wh how much of a role did he played in this situation but now i think it's almost it's a majority i would say 99 percent of people who see this documentary have flipped the switch and said i feel terrible for manti teo he was a total victim in the situation and when the part of the documentary it really hit home at the end when he's talking about the therapy sessions he was going to he has forgiven he's a man of god and he's forgiven to yasusopo but has he forgiven himself for that situation that's where it got a little emotional for me i'm like damn like this story needed to be told for this circumstance, especially in this age of people wanting to have their own opinion on all these different situations. And people think they know the lives of actors, of singers, of athletes, but they really don't. And they're going through hard times. I think it was just an important story that needed to be told. Excellently done. I like the Untold series. Yeah, Untold's great. I think you kind of wrapped it up nicely, but I'll just say one more thing. Van Tytao, he does look good. He had a big glow up. He looks so much better than he Dude, really did. The hair. Like, Why? Where was that hair in college? And he, he like slimmed up, like, and he's fit, like, like he always was he's an NFL player. But like, I don't know. He just looks incredible now. Like, he looks incredible. Uh, not retired yet. Currently an NFL free agent. I was looking up his career. He was on the practice squad for um, the Bears last season, unsigned right now. So he's not officially retired. But I was looking back at his stats. Uh, he's had some injury troubles. He's missed like half seasons. The Saints, but like what this? I, I I'm rooting so hard for this dude. Like you, I think you, I think the listeners can obviously tell by the way I'm talking about it right now. But the Doc got him. I just think of the, the Doc got the Doc. But the situation where he's at the draft combine and the the people mm. are talking about him slipping in the draft. Maybe he's not the leader everyone thought he was going to be. That he was at Notre Dame, what? and in that situation. I'm just looking at his um, history, and, I'm, and he was named a captain of the Saints back in 2017. And I was like, damn, redemption. I wish that like there was a thing like that was a little excerpt in the doc to show like he wasn't a mm. failure in the NFL. Like He had a couple 60 tackle years. He led the Saints in tackles for loss in the same year he was a captain there, right? Back-to-back -back 60 tackle seasons, and then uh, picked off Tom Brady in the red zone. That's also what yeah. I read. Pretty good. <laughs> they Honestly, that could have been a nice little wrap up to the doc for giving yourself 
moving on, becoming a captain again, leader, comfortable in your own shoes. Cause remember he said like, you couldn't feel like himself in his cleats when he was like, yeah, the chargers for like four years. That was, that was also like a jaw dropper. like, I couldn't like, like he was like, he felt numb for four years. Like that was like, oh, dude, your NFL athlete linebacker. And he was saying like, people were taking pictures with me and it's not because I was a Heisman finalist. It's not because I was an NFL player. It was to take pictures for them, turn around them for for them to make fun of me. And like, yeah. And And he also said like, they would put their arm out while taking a picture with me. Messed up. And like the dad talking about it too. Like the family like were, were victims in this whole situation. And I get why the parents didn't ask too many questions. Like if like, Parents don't like to like intrude on like their child's relationships with people, especially in this 21st century, uh, where the, you have like dating apps and people are meeting online, things like that. They don't want to get too intertwined. So I don't blame the parents in the situation either. It's just really unfortunate and really happened to a good dude. So I hope that we hear more from him in the future. And I hope he gets another shot. Um, I also thought just to kind of bring it back to a more of a funny beat, the um, Tuiasa Sopo. When they're hulaing in the mm. at the end, haunting, mm-hmm. just a haunting image, and it's it's like and they were like using that as promo before, and I was just like, why well, don't use that? Don't use that, <laughs> you know? It's just terrible. It, to me, it was just yeah. like, no one wants like, to see that. Yeah, yeah, I won't, I won't, I won't comment any further. But yeah, see, I forgot about tailing. I totally forgot about that. It was like the and same. Then, it was like Tebowing also kind of like yeah. hijacked it like a year later, you know. I, just i totally forgot and then like when he was saying like oh people would want to take pictures of me and put their arm out and like make fun of them like i i definitely like wasn't laughing during that but in my head looking back i'm like god dang like i would never do that myself but that's like i remember telling that that was hilarious at the time so now that we've gone through the untold i know you're a big fan of the trashers um untold documentary they did They've they've, re- they've released a slew since then. They also have the, they did the Mouse at the Palace, but they have a couple other ones that I have no idea. Like, have you checked out any other of the Untold? The, Mar- the Marty series? Fish one. The Marty Fish one's kind of depressing, but that's an amazing doc. The mm. tennis player, American tennis player, is supposed to be like the heir to Andy Roddick. That was like kind of depressing, but very good. Um, I want the rise and fall of Anne one. I kind of I'm, I'm I'm interested in Tim Donahue's one bit. too. The Tim Donahue, I think, also could be like the, a Teo thing where like everyone wants to know what happened. And he's been on podcasts. He's written a book um, and he, uh, he's talked a lot about it. But I feel like just visually seeing it with him on it, like pointing out like, oh, yeah, that call. Yeah, that was a foul. But I let that go. Cause, or it's like whatever, like, you know, like kind of pointing out like calls he should have made or something like that. That's like the next one, I think, with the and one doc. I'm like, OK, I'll circle those two. Um, so. Yeah, I'll check out the Donahue one for sure. But I also wanted to ask you, like, you asked me what I've been watching. Anything else you checked out on streaming in the meantime since we uh, last met? Well, a little, a little movie called Source Code came on HBO Max. Whoa, Jake G, shout out! We know you're listening. I had to, I had to watch it when it came on HBO Max, and didn't disappoint. Not as good as I remember it. I, I uh, watched it years ago but still really good like 84 out of 100 for me just a great watch quick 90 minutes like just a pure clean cut movie um definitely like they sped it up could have been longer but at the end of the day this is just an action thrower and it's jake g just put it on a show never seen it and uh yeah so i i know that's one that it hasn't been reviewed well 
in the past. I know people have their criticisms, but it seems like you're a big fan. Uh, is it, so it's on HBO, you said. So if I can go on Max, I can see this Jake G movie. It's on HBO Max. Yeah. Okay. Perfect. I'm gonna. It's check a classic. It out this week. Like, I'm gonna guess Rotten Tomatoes probably high 60s if i had to guess but th this is like a like this movie is like similar to like an unstoppable like that's on tnt all the time like this should be on tnt all the time ricky to guess what the uh rotten tomato has oh source that code. face 44 opposite way bro is it an 84 with me it's a 92 with an 82 percent audience score i thought I Source Code got a bad rap I might be thinking of the one where he puts on the headphones and starts dancing in the streets. That's Demolition, Demolition Man. That yeah. I haven't seen that, but I, I always watch the videos of Jake G dancing because those are awesome to whatever song that someone puts in the background. Those are great. So source code, I'm going to put it on the list. Any other movies you've checked out or series? I, I know I have, but those are just the two I watched like literally the past two days. So like that's like most recent. I know you watch you finished only murders, right? Yep. So uh, we're gonna get to that in a second with the checkup. But anything else other than only murders? I'm still yeah, I'm still grinding through that. But no, like that's pretty much sums it up. Oh, so like, you haven't fi you haven't finished only murders? No, no, no. I'm still working on season two. Okay, because uh, I'll just get it out of the way now. Paul Rudd has been confirmed for only 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 murders in the building season three. I won't see any more, to be honest, because I want Ricky to finish the season. And uh, yeah, I think that's just bad, better off. I guess fewer words than more. <laughs> that's I guess that's how we'll approach it. Not finishing the season yet. This seems like a great fit for the show. But uh, I want to get your. I, I personally think season one is a lot better than season two of Only Murders in the Building. I'll say so far, I agree. And uh, I think that, like, writing-wise, they're taking some liberties in the second season. Like, Mabel, for like, what what episode are you on? Like, four. Okay. So, I'll just hold off. And I just think, like, they're they're taking advantage of some of the characters in the show. And I think it doesn't, it doesn't, uh, it doesn't flow as well as season one did. But the performances are all still top-notch. And it's still a very entertaining show. Nice 30-minute watch. Uh, I did want to tell you, Ricky Flex... And this is also a message for Scotty Furious. I watched Fast Five, I think, two nights ago. And I don't remember what happens at the, the fourth installment of the Fast and Furious franchise. But after watching Fast Five, and it's the first time I watched it, like from the beginning all the way to the end, it's the first time where I kind of sat back and I said to myself, I kind of get it. I, 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 I <laughs> yes. kind of get it. Yes. Like, Scotty, where, we got him. Cause it's like I I'm not into like the racing aspect as much, and it seems like this is the one where they just went all in, saying this is no longer just a race car franchise. It's how it started, but like bringing in like the Rock in the situation, Paul Walker switching sides officially, like when you're on the other side of the wanted poster, and then watching the lunacy of a lot of those stunts, especially the train sequence at the beginning. That is like a message sent to the audience saying this movie's different. It's dangerous as hell right uh you get like literally nothing is out of bounds there are no limitations to this franchise we are going to like hijack this train steal two cars when the cars come off they're already gonna be running and you have to steer them and then the da is gonna be on and you're gonna have to like take those guys out at the same time then you're gonna jump off a 100 foot cliff and jump out of the car and then land safely with no broken bones like that scene 
I think, established the rest of the Fast and Furious franchise. They they drove a safe throughout Brazil. Right. Like, I think that just shows, like, oh, like, anything goes in Fast and Furious going into go, the future here. And this is Brazil. Still the best line ever in the Fast and Furious movies. Um, do you know where most of the movie was shot? Any idea? Because mm, no. it's, it's just hilarious to me how this movie goes like like the Fast and Furious franchise went international, like with this movie. And when they say this is Brazil, you're like obviously you think it's shot in Rio de Janeiro, but it's instead it's shot in Puerto Rico. Oh, okay. It's for tax incentives. I, I did a little research on that. I was just curious mm. because like they seem to take on that identity, that international identity for much of the movie. But I also want to talk about The Rock for a second. This is this movie and the way Rock acts, it reminds me of an 80s macho actor. Like he is a pure, like almost like an Arnold in Predator, where a, anything comes out of his mouth, you can't take it too seriously. He's gonna have that bravado that goes with it. I know I took a Snapchat of a, a, a Snapchat video while I was watching last night to tell to show you like when the rock is first introduced. And his partner goes up to him and he says, bad or good or bad news. And the rock just turns to him and goes like, you know, you, you know, I like my dessert first. <laughs> it's like the, the way part, he delivered the line is just terrible. It's so bad, but it's good. You know, that that's where that's one of those moments where I sat back and said, Scotty furious. I kind of get it. It's like, it's just that the rock is doing it. You know, if, if someone else is doing it like a first time actor, you roll your eyes. But it's The Rock, and you know he's oiled up. His guns are as big as ever in any movie. I don't even know if Black Adam's going to be able to match it. But you just felt like, yeah, just give me The Rock versus Vin Diesel in an all-out fist fight, you know? Or just jumping over rooftops, slamming through windows, going through roofs, and just, like, going to town on each other, absolutely taking each other out, you know? With bronzer all over them. Like, I, I get the Fast and Furious franchise after watching Fast Five. I'm tempted to watch the next four in the franchise after that. I think if I had a power rank like Fast Five, Fast, uh, and then seven, I would say, then the first one would be like my top three. Um, okay. So you, so you don't like the originals too much, like the first four? The first one's my third favorite. Okay, the first one is. I like the, it when they go crazy. That's fast and furious to me. Yeah, they go crazy. I, it's not. It's again like I don't think it's about the racing. I think it's just about the stunts. It's about the spectacle. It's about how big this is and how far they could take it. They went to space in the last one, and they're gonna go further. And there are no limits. Like I think Fast yeah. Five established that though. You know, like anything could yeah, happen. That was here. yeah. I agree. I agree. Um, and then also later on when like Helen Mirren and Jason Statham are like joining the franchise, Charlize Theron is joining the franchise. It's like there's no stopping this train. It just keeps on rolling. Um, the first one almost feels like it's in a time capsule for me. Like it's forever stuck in 2001, and I will never watch it again. It's like Paul fast, Walker. Like is it is that the first one? Too fast, too furious, or or is it? No, fast that's and the furious? second one. The Fast just, and the Furious. It just to me that always is. It just feels so different from the rest of the franchise. And I think I look at Paul Walker, how he like he has somehow has frosted tips, but doesn't have frosted tips in the movie. You know, he's got the curly hair going, but.
but it's not sticking up in the air. And yet he has the blonde highlights. Like for me, it looks like he is a part of in sync, but he also is trying to break into this, uh, car chase the a race car ring right street car racing ring you know it just feels so different when i watch fast five and i remember it started with fast and furious it just doesn't feel the same and i'd rather watch fast five you know yeah that's what same. i just more it's just better all right and then uh let's get to the checkout we'll see what we got going here so we already brought up paul uh paul rudd not paul walker in uh only murders in the building season three i think where i want to start ricky flex is i want to talk about a spinoff that's in the works it was announced last week we have a later checkup this week so we're just catching up Ferris bueller's day off spinoff films in the works at paramount the film titled sam and victor's day off will follow the same day adventure of the valets who took the ferrari on a joyride cameron's father's car ricky flex thoughts on the idea of a ferris bueller spinoff absolutely terrible this is getting me like Big Lebowski spinoffs with Jesus Rolls, except there's no John Turturro or John Hamm to even make this watchable. I think that this is a terrible idea. I have no idea who's going to be doing this. I hate it already. Me too. Um, I'm, I'm glad it's not a remake. I'm just curious how they're going to capture that same feel of the original Ferris Bueller movie. That one feels so distinct. And it feels that it also feels like one of those classic movies that isn't untouchable, right? It's 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 one that probably top five most iconic movies of the eighties, and it's like right behind like Back to the Future, where it's like that shouldn't be remade or they shouldn't do anything with the franchise, just let it stay. Um, Breakfast Club could probably be remade, to be honest. I agree. trying to think if there's it, any other in that category of 80s movies that should not be touched that are pretty much standalone. I think you could. Mm, I don't know. I think you could do a lot there. Like um, Terminator can't be remade, but just had a bunch of spinoffs. I guess Breakfast Club shouldn't be remade just because it's good just as its own. And I think it would be just a lot of kids on their phones and they would just take on the identities that not a lot of audiences would uh, want to see on a big screen, to be honest. Like, you would have some kid, like, doing a TikTok in one room. You would have another kid just, like, doing armband workouts in another one. It just wouldn't be it – wouldn't, it doesn't, it's not as translatable, not as fun to watch. Ferris Bueller, like, if they capture the setting, it might work, but I'm afraid they're also going to change the story where, like, Sam and Victor – they're not, they're, they're like maybe one of the, like I could see them like maybe a 2022, 2023 movie like has them in a relationship or something like that as they steal this car. I could see them just like turning this franchise and kind of trying to make it 2023 when it's really set in 1986 and needs to always stay in 1986. Know what I mean? I feel like that's, I, I feel, so the reason why I, I, I hesitate is because I feel like all these movies like in the 80s, like I think you could remake all of them and make them and for this generation, it's just that they'll lose that they won't have that feel. They won't have that eighties yeah. feel. They won't have that kid feel, right? Like the eighties has that like Stranger Things has benefited from and all these others have benefited from from the eighties. I think that you could do something like Stranger Things in the and going forward based off nostalgia, but to try to remake something off of twenty twenty two vibes, I just don't think you could you can. Yeah, I just 
I don't think because I think if you have a Fer- Ferris Bueller's like universe type of movie, like what kind of winks are you going to include that will also bring in older fans of the original movie? Are you going to drive by Ferris Bueller in the distance, perform a twist and shout? Are you going to go past? Are you going to somehow run into Abe Froman, the Sausage King of Chicago? Are you going to go into like the bar where uh, the principal walks in and asks the score of, of of the Cubs game and asks who's winning and the person says the Bears. Like, what kind of things are you going to incorporate to capture that feel of 1986? You know, and that that movie very much thinking of, uh, reminds me of the Bear, and I, that's another show I've been watching. I'm I think you should get on board to be honest, Ricky Flex, but it captures the identity of Chicago, and it takes a lot of pride in that. So how are you going to translate that to this spinoff film? You know, that's what you got to do if it's going to be successful. Yeah, I just don't see it being successful at all. <laughs> it seems like you don't want to talk about this one too much, Ricky Flex. <laughs> like, like seriously, like what, who are these guys get? Sam and Victor. I didn't even know their names until today. I, I, I didn't know either, dude. I, maybe they didn't have names. That's a movie I've. I've Wanted to revisit for a long time just because it's just always fun to rewatch. One of the most rewatchable movies ever made, by the way. And sometimes it's good just to be sense stone is rewatchable. All right. Moving on with the checkup here. Glass Onion, a Knives Out mystery. It has a tagline, all right, or logline, excuse me, of the movie, what it's going to be about. It's going to follow a tech billionaire played by Edward Norton who invites the nearest and dearest for a getaway on his private Greek island, but then someone turns up dead there's a couple stills that came out looking at the cast it includes the likes of Catherine Hahn, Dave Bautista, Janelle Monet, obviously Edward Norton, Daniel Craig. Uh what are your thoughts on this log line? Anything Ricky Flex? It's interesting. I think that yeah, someone turns up dead. We kind of predicted that. But Edward Norton we know Edward Norton's role, right? So now we know two people's roles. We know Benoit Blanc, Daniel Craig, and Edward Norton. I think that's big. Edward Norton will not be the guy that dies. He will be a major part in this in the story, similar to Christopher Plummer, a la Knives Out, the original. I like it. Tech billionaire. I could see Edward Norton playing a snarky, know-it-all tech billionaire for sure. Now, if we're taking betting odds on who's the person that dies out of this cast, who would you pick? Okay, I like this. Well, Edward Norton is going to die, I would say. And then they're going to follow the same plot as like the first one again. Uh, I don't know if he's the first to die, but I think like knowing Edward Norton, he's going to be the guy who plays it off. Like he's going to be like, Oh, he definitely did it. <laughs> you know, like in the beginning of the movie, but then he's going to die. And like, Oh, he couldn't have done it because he's dead. Uh, but other than that, I wouldn't be surprised if it's Dave Bautista because out of like all the actors here, he's probably the most inexperienced one in terms of a performer. And it seems like a lot of the movies he's in with an ensemble cast, he finds himself dying quick, whether it be like Spectre in, uh, for James Bond, whether it be uh, Blade Runner 2049, right, with Denny Villeneuve. I think I, I could just see him biting the dust early. What about Ethan Hawke? Well, yeah, because he wasn't in the picture. <laughs> I, I would say that's why. I, that's that's my bet because I'm, he wasn't in the picture that was released, right? He wasn't in the picture. Edward Norton's playing the tech billionaire, not him. So you're telling me Ethan Hawke is going to be another older, prominent character here? No, no, no. I think it was if if that, if like Ethan Hawke was the guy that was picked as a tech billionaire, then I would have said Ed Norton's dead or going to die. 
So I'm going to flip-flop Ethan Hawke, my pick. I think Ryan Johnson has said that Ethan Hawke has very limited screen time in this movie. So like that, that would line up correctly. More. He also said, I think it performs similar to a cameo. So like maybe he's only in it for like five minutes. He's the first guy dead. Or he just somehow shows up at the end of the movie and it's just like a nice wink. Maybe Ethan Hawke was in Greece at the time <laughs> or in on the Greek, uh, Greek islands or whatever. Like, oh yeah, you want to come like knives out shooting? We would, we would love to have you, Ethan Hawke. Just add on to the ensemble here. Uh, but I think the overall like person responsible is going to be Catherine Hahn just because I think – I just think of act too obvious though. I just, <laughs> I just think like she's gonna be the one, you know. She's I think just, like she's just naturally de- like deceiving, you know, deceitful. Excuse me. Yeah, I think that Janelle Monae will be like the Ana de Armas innocent, innocent vibe cast member there. Um, Dave Bautista is too obvious just by his stature. Leslie right? Jr. forgot in this one too. Yep. Um, I could picture him as the Chris Evans. Chris Evans, like maybe he's behind everything. I can also picture Edward Norton and Tech Billionaire also behind everything, killing his brother maybe for an inheritance. He's actually slightly broke maybe. So if he kills Ethan Hawke, his brother maybe, he gets some. I'm just spitballing here. But Loki, Kate Hudson could be a pro- the troublemaker on this She boat. might be a problem. Yeah. <laughs> she could be she the could troublemaker be on this boat. And I wouldn't rule her out either. Maybe she's in cahoots with someone else. I don't know. Maybe Leslie Bottom Jr. We'll I'm excited for this trailer because, like, it, this movie also December 23rd on Netflix, a Christmas release. A lot of eyeballs on this movie on Christmas Day. We'll see if it uh, performs better than Don't Look Up, <laughs> right from last year. We'll see what happens there. Ugh, don't remind um, me. So, moving on with the checkup, really quickly, something that we uh, supp- we supposed was going to happen, and uh, Matt Reeves has signed an overall first look deal with Warner Brothers to develop upcoming. Uh, films for the studio. The Batman 2 is currently being written by Matt Reeves and Mattson Tomlin, who both co-wrote the first movie, The Batman, with Robert Pattinson returning for the role in the sequel. Anything to add here, Ricky Flex? It seemed obvious that this was actually going to happen after somehow it was kind of being called into question last week. I am inevitable. We all (laughs) knew this was going to happen. Wrong franchise. (laughs) We all knew this was going to happen. Looking forward to it. The Batman 2 is what it's being described as. Wouldn't be surprised if they go with a different name. It seems like, uh, like, let's throw out some, let's throw out some names. Let's throw out some titles. So the Batman 2, I think it's out of the question just because the Batman itself has like, it's almost like provided that prestige upon a Batman story, Mm. you know, like Batman begins. It's like, I guess it's kind of there, but the bat, the Batman. Sounds like okay. This is not your average Batman story, right? This all like it just felt different, and I guess the Batman two just eh. Batman already taken, Dark Knight already taken. Any anything that comes to mind? Do you think it's gonna be like villain related or maybe Gotham related? Anything that comes to mind here? I know everybody on Twitter, they're mentioning villains, right? A popular one with. Gotham being flooded is Mr. Freeze. So a lot of the names are revolved around water and frozen, things like that. Just because of that, that's not going to happen. He won't be the villain just because it's everyone wants it. <laughs> so I think it'll be related to Gotham because that's why the Batman was so different than all the other Batman movies because it made Gotham like a character. Like we talked about, it was so inspiring. It was incredible what they did, what Matt Reeves did. It was just completely different than any other Gotham City that we've ever seen. 
right? I think it's going to be related to that because of how eye-popping and impactful Gotham City was. I think he's going to continue that, and that's going to be a continuing theme here with this Batman trilogy. Yeah. Taking the identity of Gotham is good. I know at the end of the movie like he talks about becoming, instead of a symbol of fear, becoming a symbol of hope. Maybe the title has something with the Batman colon something hope or something like that. <laughs> a new hope. hope. A new hope. A new hope. <laughs> Already <laughs> taken. Um, <laughs> yeah, but, but like talking, like some a popular one that I've seen on social media that I like a lot is like if Mr. Freeze was the villain, they talk about Heart of Ice, which was the title of the, uh, the Batman animated series episode that actually won an Emmy with its portrayal right. of introducing Victor Great. Freeze. Great. And, uh, the origins of Mr. Freeze and his the relationship between Victor and his wife, which is kind of a, it's a tragic story. And I think one that can be told very well by one Matt Reeves and to kind of explore instead of doing like a, like a character study of the Batman, like we just saw, maybe we kind of share the wealth a little bit with another villain, maybe one that we haven't seen or hasn't been done just uh, by Batman writers. All right. For the franchise. Okay. Moving on with the checkup here. Uh, speaking of Batman, I think this is a nice connection here, a nice little loop. Speaking of, well, Zack Snyder. We'll just say Zack Snyder. I'm not going to say he's positive or negative. I'm going to stay out of that conversation. Zack Snyder's Rebel Moon already has a part two in the works. The film's been granted $16 million in tax credits for California when it begins filming. So Rebel Moon already getting a sequel. Um, are you interested in this movie, Ricky Flux? Rebel Moon? Question to a question. Did you see Rebel Moon? <laughs> Well, it didn't come out yet. The first one. Yeah, it didn't come out yet. Oh, right. So then they're already greenlighting a sequel? Yeah. So the, uh, to me, it's kind of crazy. I believe Rebel Moon's a Netflix movie. I'm not positive. I can right, double check. Right, because that's the one. Okay, I'm Ray Fisher. Everything's coming back to me. Ray so, Fisher, yeah, Anthony Hopkins. One. Yes, yes. He's Yes, the weird picture with it. Yes, this is all coming back to me. Okay. Yeah, this is the one Zach Snyder said. Like, Charlie oh, Hunnam. Netflix is like a great studio and mocking Warner Brothers. Yeah, yep, Hunnam. Your boy, yeah. Hunnam, dude. I'm back. I'm back. Sophia Butella, Digimon Hounsu. I definitely was thinking of the uh, the prequel Army of the Dead movie. Oh yeah. Um, ah, what was that called? The Thieves. Ar- Den of Thieves. Army of Thieves. Yeah, yeah, that so came out. The- I'm on the, um, the Wikipedia page for Rebel Moon. This is what it reads. Rebel Moon is an upcoming American epic space opera film. Opera. That's what it says. Space opera. So I guess it, like basically comparing it to Star Wars. Corey Stahl is- also in the... In, uh, Corey Stahl, Carrie Elwes. Forgot that he was in this too. I'm trying to think. Yep, it's gonna Stoll, be, it's, he's kind of gone down, huh? I thought he was going to be something like... Dude. He was... What? Par- apparently he's going to be MODOK. In the MCU. How does that work? Because they said he was stuck in the quantum realm following the first Ant-Man, and then he transforms into Modoc for Quantumania. Huh. So not hmm. only and people are always expecting Bill Murray to be Modoc. He's a little right. old for that role. So it's maybe it's like he has a prior relationship to which Michelle Pfeiffer's character, Hope Van Dyne. So instead, like Modoc's gonna be one Corey Stoll that was stuck in the quantum realm that's gonna be unleashed from Quantumania. Okay, I get that. I could see that. Just I don't know. I didn't like him that much in Ant Man. Like I just didn't. I don't think he's a good villain. He was I super was, corny. 
super yeah, cool. And like West Side Story, just he was good in that. He, that was like, I think it was good, but like you know, it was easy. You're playing a dirt like a racist cop. Like, it's also just being a part of a Spielberg movie, being part of that an iconic story. I think that was more about it. I mean, like that's a it's an important character to the story. You know, it's maybe not a ton of lines, and you don't get a ton of screen time, but it's still like I played this guy from West Side Story, and it's on your filmography, it's on your resume. You know? Yeah. No, I see what you're saying. I don't know. Let's let's see how he does in Rebel Moon, and let's see how he does in everything. I. As maybe Ant Man Quantum Media. Did did you like him as Junior Soprano in uh, the Many Saints in Newark? He was pretty good in Many Saints in Newark. Yeah, he was pretty. I was, I'll I'll was waiting to one. drop that on you. I was gonna. I was waiting to drop that on you. But you're speaking right, of you're the, right. all right. Sp- speaking of the MCU, let's uh, transition to an, a new upcoming star in the MCU. Simu Liu has been cast as the villain alongside J Lo in Brad Payton's movie Atlas for Netflix. The sci-fi thriller follows a woman fighting for humanity in a future where an AI soldier has determined the only way to end war is to end humanity. Simu Liu as a villain opposite J-Lo. Netflix film. Any thoughts, Ricky Flex? I don't know. It's J-Lo, so anything could happen. She could put in a great performance, but this definitely is... uh... Definitely the uh, just get seen by as many audiences as possible action thriller. So not necessarily going to be critically acclaimed, but another good looking person, Simu Liu, Marvel star, now superhero. Let's put some big stars up on on the screen. Makes sense. Like this won't be the greatest movie ever, but this could be entertaining. Hopefully J-Lo puts in a a performance here. Simu Liu, again, on the rise. Barbie, this, still Shang-Chi. I like it. I like it. It's good to add to the filmography before he makes the turn from big movie star, which he is now being a superhero. Now this to whenever he wants to make that turn. If he ever do, if he ever does. I'm very excited to see what Simu Liu does in the near future, especially because his, his breakout was a Marvel superhero. He didn't have a breakout and then got cast. His breakout was being hired by one Kevin Feige in Marvel Studios. That's kind of nuts. That doesn't usually happen. Then moving on from that, after this breakout role, he's going on to maybe what's going to catapult him into a another level, like to the next level, I guess, with Barbie, like you talked about. And then this one is also like kind of diversifying the portfolio as a villain opposite J-Lo, one of the most popular figures in pop culture right now. And for Netflix, right? So we'll see how that does. Like Netflix with action movies doesn't always have the best, uh, um, doesn't have the best reputation, judging by the latest with the Gray Man. We reviewed it. Check it out <laughs> earlier in the podcast feed if you're listening right now. Uh, but I like to see him as a villain. I can't see him seeing him taking it so seriously as a villain. I've, I have a feeling it's going to be like a snarky type of villain, one that's a little bit sarcastic, judging by like how I've seen him in both. Um, Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings, but also just online. He's big. He's active on Twitter. He also has a sense of sarcasm to him, and he's a likable dude, so I don't think he's going to be a very unlikable villain, if you know what I'm saying. Yeah, he won't be like that menacing villain. He'll definitely be the snarky, quick-witted comments, also good-looking, so I think they're going to play off of an action thrower for Netflix, like definitely going to play off of the personality of the actor rather than trying to do this transformative role for him, especially early on in his career. 
Right. And speaking of snarky, sarcastic actors, Ryan Reynolds' Clue movie is moving forward with Oren Uziel set to write the script. Rick, you're a fan of the original Clue? I honestly have not seen it since before like elementary school, and I didn't even watch it in full. Like I just yeah. turned it on in the middle of it. I remember watching this with Dad all the time. I, Maybe you I, weren't in the room when we were watching, but I remember watching that on repeat, and I actually love this movie, and I hope it's done justice because it has an amazing ensemble cast, and it was a really revolutionary type of movie with the three different endings. You know how it ends, right? Where it has like three different yes, potential endings. Yes, that's what I, I've seen, like the end, like the second half of the movie. I wish movies were as creative as this was when it came out, where it's like a choose-your-own-adventure type of ending. And then Tim Curry is unbelievable. This is a movie, I guess it's not untouchable, but because it's a board game, it's adopted off the board game, it could be made for modern audiences, but you just got to make sure you do the ensemble justice. Like This is one where it's not to like the off-limit the off limits of one Ferris Bueller's Day Off that we just talked about, but I think it's still a very valuable property. I think it's in good hands with like a Ryan Reynolds. I don't know if I'm going to have him as like the Tim Curry of all of this, but uh, I guess we'll wait and see and hear more about the cast before I make a assured judgments on it. Yeah, the that's I think that's like with Clue, like so many different characters, a whodunit, like that. A cast is huge, but if you have a name with Ryan Reynolds already attached, what did we talk about last week with Bullet Train, like? cameo galore right just by these names and ryan reynolds like he does he he attracts names so that's good for a huge ensemble potential ensemble cast i like that and this ori oren uziel uziel like wrote don't ask me that's right (laughs) yeah i won't wrote 22 jump street so he's got the comedic chops right wrote the lost city more comedic chops um he's done some action movies like Mortal Kombat that we reviewed last year. Um, he's doing, uh, he's doing, uh, what do you call it? Detective Pikachu 2, which will have Ryan Reynolds. So there's a clear connection there. So, yes, it's not, this isn't going to be like award winning or anything, but this could be like a very fun movie that I, we can all enjoy with a big ensemble cast. And who doesn't love Ryan Reynolds when he's like hitting on all cylinders? So let's try and, because I, we just reviewed Bullet Train. Oh, sorry. I, I don't know if I could say this, actually. But I was going to say Bullet Train, David Leach, director, works with uh, works consistently with Ryan Reynolds, also works with like one Brad Pitt. Uh, and so maybe like Brad Pitt joins this cast and has a strong relationship with a Channing Tatum. Maybe Channing Tatum joins this I, cast. I can see like Channing that. Tatum joining this. 100% not like just as a strong supporting character, you know, and I think this is great for him also like he's kind of coming back into the limelight. He does a lot of cameo work. He was in dog last year things like this year, right? This year? This, year. Dog this year? This year. Yeah. So dog was this year. So maybe it may, I don't know who else you bring into the fold. I, it's going to feel similar to Knives Out. That's the only thing. It's just going to feel similar to this popular franchise that has now has a sequel on the way and that will already be out before this one has like actual um, momentum going towards the project. And again, this writer has a connection with Channing Tatum with 22 jump street. The true. I think this would definitely lean. Jonah Hill. Jonah Hill. Jonah Hill. Jonah Hill. Jonah Hill. Um, won't do promos anymore. He did that due to mental health. You saw that. I did see that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think there's definitely more comedy than knives out. Even though knives out was very funny. This will definitely lean towards comedy more so than like critically acclaimed. Yeah. 
hundred percent Brian Reynolds is in it. You know, it's not taking a very serious tone. But I think uh, this is definitely like going for the laughs. Get Betty White in there. Wait, is she alive? Dude, doctor, she died on New Year's Eve last year. Oh my god! Take it back. Take it back. I have to edit that out now. No, you have to keep it in. Well, I was got. I was thinking of like people that work with Ryan Reynolds. I think the proposal, like Sandra Bullock, could be good if she was in this too. Just I'm thinking big names. I didn't know she died. Like, how am I supposed oh to remember that? Like, she. That's Betty a thing. She was 99. She Betty, was like a week away from turning 100 or something. Oh, you're right. I remember this now. But like, whenever you say like Betty White, is she dead? It's always a 50 50 shot. <laughs> like, it's always like, is she dead? Is she? Maybe she Betty died. Betty White. Set that dot. Still dead. Ah, oh, Christ. I was just trying to like think of more names for the cast. It'd be funny if she not now it's not I can't say it was funny, but it'd be it'd if be she was cool. in this, it would be awesome. It would be awesome if she was in this movie. It would have been a good fit. You know, it would have been that. perfect. Maybe it's just a slight little cameo. Maybe she's like delivering a pizza at the door or something, you know. <laughs> it's yes. gonna be something. It's uh all right, now, all right. There's gonna be a musician in it. There's gotta be like I, a I have musician. another name. Oh, Tim Curry. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Will he be in? Maybe. It? Maybe he just comes back and plays the butler again. Just send it back. Run it back. Run it back. Run it back. All new cast. Yeah. He doesn't do anything nowadays. He's alive, right? I was gonna say, like, I have no idea. Ricky, Except you might have just done what I did. I know he's got to be alive. He has to. Yeah. He just might be retired. I just haven't heard anything from him in a long time. Seventy-six. He is alive. He's he's seventy-six. Yeah. He looks. At- I actually thought he was younger than that. God, kind of it, uh, and it like a 1990 version, and he's Pennywise. But like, if this movie went the wrong way, I, I have faith because Ryan Reynolds is at the center of it. Like, I would lose faith if it said like Kevin Hart is going to be in. Oh God, Clue, you know, or The Rock wants to make Clue. You know, <laughs> I don't trust those comedic actors. I trust Ryan Reynolds and his creative control over projects and who he's going to surround himself with. You know, there could be a move like, like get Jack Black. And b- by the way, get Jack that Black. That would be good. I like that. In Clue. He's the Colonel Mustard. Oh, yeah. Now we're talking. <laughs> yes. Who else is there? In, like the professor. Who could be the professor? I'm trying to think what the professor looks like. He's a uh, red hair. Skinny. Let's get Helen Mirren. It's Mrs. Green. That's pretty good, too. And yeah. Fast and Furious. Another call out there. God, who could be the professor? What's the, what's the professor wear again? Is, is he white? The white white suit? Purple, I think purple. purple suit. Who could be the professor? Tough. Mm. I don't know. We'll 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 we'll, we'll let Jonah. that marin. Yeah, jo- we already said Jonah Hill could be in this movie. Yeah. Maybe he's the professor. You know. What are the characters are include? I'm trying to remember other people. Mister Mrs Green Mrs. White or Mister Mrs. White. Mrs. Maybe it's Mister Green and Mrs White. Mrs. White looks like the maid, and that could be Helen Mirren. I think there's Mr. Green, who's a little rotund. There's Peacock. Oh, she's white hair. Miss Scarlet. Oh, Miss Scarlet on the arms. Easily. That or Scarlett Johansson. Scarlett Johansson could be. um, Oh, Mrs. White. Um, What's her name? Uh, From Schitt's Creek, the wife. Uh, Catherine O'Hara. She should be in this. Yeah. Oh yeah. I that like would that. be good. Uh Mrs. White. No, I Professor Plum, that's it. Professor Plum, that's the name. Is that the is that the is that the fat guy? No, he's the he's the professor. He's the skinny guy with like the crazy red hair. 
You got the, the uh, oh. yeah, Mr. Green, hmm. maybe Harrison Ford. I'm trying to think <laughs> We're moving on. We're I'm moving seeing on. pictures here. Rick, We're moving Rick Moranis on. would have been great. A King Kong series is in the work at Disney Plus. Stephen Folsom will write the script. Oh, Stephanie, excuse me. Sorry. Not a, it's not a Tuiasa Sofa situation. Stephanie Folsom will write the series with James Wan set to executive produce. The series will explore King Kong's origin story and the mythology behind Skull Island. It's important to remember here, this is not the same King Kong that was in Kong Skull Island or Kong uh, versus Godzilla, lately for latest from Warner Brothers. Uh, King Kong is a public domain, so Disney Plus is have taken a crack at it. Uh, any thoughts on a King Kong series for Disney Confusing. Plus? Confusing. Yeah. It's a public domain. I, like what? I, I thought for a second it was Apple TV Plus for a second, but that's another show. Why right? does Disney With... Plus need this, dude? Like they, they have Marvel. They have Star Wars. They have Pixar. Why are they trying to hijack like what they're trying to do with the MonsterVerse at Warner Brothers? Like why can't they just and let it Apple. be? And Apple, like, what? Like, it's like you're just trying, like, you're trying to negate their game, and like, just let them By do their thing. And like, you're, dollars on and the, uh, like, you, like, it, Disney Plus, it's gonna, it's gonna, it's gonna be a CGI fest. It's not gonna be very violent, as if it were be would be at Warner Brothers or an Apple TV. Let it be. It's not gonna be as enjoyable for audiences that actually want to see a King Kong movie. Get this out of my face. I might eat my words for saying that, but I don't want it. I'd rather see keep exploring the monster verse for uh, Warner Brothers. And I'm actually more interested in seeing Apple do it than Disney. Yeah, I just don't understand why Disney, like they have so many resources already invested in Star Wars shows and Disney uh, and Pixar shows and uh, Marvel shows. Like they're spending so much money on that visual effects, CGI, uh, VFX. Um, why do a King Kong origin story? That's a big question mark, especially with this huge outcry and protesting tight or boycott, whatever you want to call it, uh, about how much they put their um, the VFX people to work. And it's clearly showing up in their work and they're clearly over, like overloaded with work. So it's like, why do this? Like it- this is shocking it's a great connection you just made just like the vfx what's going on there marvel already has their hand like they they have their hands full with marvel going on star wars is revving up get this out of here it's just gonna ruin relationships even more so and and diminish the cgi and visual effects even more so than they already have there's they gotta be like the studio that uses vfx more than any other and it can't even be close especially with the output of marvel production that they have by the way, did you see the new She-Hulk um, minute-long uh, teaser for tomorrow's episode? Yeah, I, I watched it. I watched it. Looked it. terrible. Like the VFX looked we'll terrible. We have a, we'll have our review tomorrow. We'll talk more about it then. I, I can tell you, my review of that scene was terrible. <laughs> that Just VFX was so bad, bro. So bad. It's like is that the effects are trying too hard. It's like like we always talk about video games how they look too real. But we want them to like look like video games sometimes. This like is like, Madden. yeah, right. It's like this is like doing the opposite. We're like, yeah, we're actually listening to you. We're trying to make it look not realistic. But when you compare it to the Hulk and Mark Ruffalo, it's like, oh no, we want it to look realistic. Like you're messing up. You thought we wanted this, but we didn't. They like Hulk looks like a human now, bro. I swear. Like I was watching a breakdown 
of last episode on new rock stars like uh i know competitor but also very nicely done they did an amazing job talking about marvel with hulk's look he looks so good but it almost goes to the point where he almost doesn't look like hulk anymore you know he almost doesn't have that comic book look to him and he's not as big um yeah but even like the color, it's a little fainted. It looks like they like made him look. They tried to age his skin, almost like you age someone's hair, <laughs> you know, make it gray. Right. Today it's like a little bit of that. But She Hulk is just she's so vibrantly green and so it looks so different from the Hulk that was in episode one. That just makes me think like, okay, just not as good. It just doesn't look as good. Um, that. All right, that's gonna do it for the checkup this week. Let's now let's move on to the trailer roundup. Start off with some Pinocchio talk. We get the new trailer for Robert Zemeckis' live-action remake from Disney. Yet another animated movie going on to the live-action scene with a little bit of CG mixed in. Film releases September 8th on Disney+. Plus. Initial reactions to the Pinocchio trailer, Ricky Flex. We have to stop Tom Hanks. Yo, I disagree. I disagree wholeheartedly on this. Ricky I think Flex. I'll let you go, though. I'll let you go. I think if this came out before elvis i wouldn't be nervous but i i think now that elvis came out before this i'm nervous about the accent i'm nervous i don't know i think the part is good for him i think it's much better than what captain parker was for elvis i think this matches better for tom hanks but i'm nervous i'm not saying he didn't do well in the trailer i couldn't really tell to be honest so i think that's a start um, I just think that, yeah, I'm going to wait and see. And if this is bad, I think you we did. need to put an end to Tom Hanks and accents going forward. You know what sold me with the Tom Hanks here? It's the dancing? When, when he yelled Pinocchio, Pinocchio, <laughs> at the top of his lungs. The I was Spanish just like, guy. yeah, I don't, <laughs> nacho. nacho. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I do think this is a great follow-up to Elvis. For him, it's like, okay, I'm going to also disguise myself a little bit, be a, somewhat unrecognizable, but still, like, you know, it's Tom Hanks. And it's also, it almost has a, like, a Saving Mr. Banks, Walt Disney, like, type of role, I guess, Definitely. for him. And uh, just a more likable role following the backlash of Elvis. It almost seems like he planned this out, by the way. Like, you you have the two, like, uh, kind of the costumed type of characters but just on totally different parts, ends of the spectrum. I think Pinocchio looks great. I actually have more hope for this Disney live-action remake than I have for their previous ones. When you look at their previous ones, Lion King, Aladdin, and um, Dumbo, I think there's something else mixed in there that I'm forgetting. But the like the latest three all did not... You know, Beauty and the Beast was... I like that one. I like Beauty that was and the great. Beast. That was good. And I like this. I like the soundtrack, especially from that one. The vibes of this one seems like it's core to Disney, and it looks like it's core to the story. They're not making too many adjustments, and it seems like they're going to be doing the actual story of Pinocchio justice. One that I didn't have as much interest as a kid, but now as an adult looking at it, I think it could be potentially something special. And I, I like Jiminy Cricket looks amazing too. I don't necessarily love what a couple of the lines that like uh, Joseph Gordon Levitt was laying on us in this trailer but I'm, I'm just confident in this movie and just having that disney magic that somehow seems like it's being applied here especially with what the when you wish upon a star 
cover that's like going throughout this movie. Cynthia Arrivo as like uh, the fairy, the fairy godmother. What what's her role? The fairy, just a fairy. Yeah, fairy, fairy godmother. Fairy. Yeah, yeah. But I just think uh, I have more faith in this one for whatever reason. Tom Hanks just seems way more likable. It just seems more faithful. Yeah, the night like the first Pinocchio was nineteen forty. Like it just looked scary. Like it was like a horror movie to kids. Like I know for us it was. I think this definitely complements it better. We gotta look at the whale, the scary whale from the nineteen forty version. Doesn't look I would scary. cover my eyes in that fine that climax sequence when Pinocchio is like dead on the shore. I would close my eyes because it was so goddamn scary. But like I think this looks pretty good. I wish I think Deadpool kind of like just changed the game with like the eyes, right? Like the moving eyes, the emotional like reactions without a face. Um, I think Pinocchio as a puppet, I still would like the eyes to move a little more. I was kind of looking for that. Um, I think that would have helped. Uh, maybe they were. I was trying to look for it. Tough. And then also Jiminy Cricket, I was looking for it too. Um, trying to, you know, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, like JGL. I couldn't really recognize his voice that much in this. He went super high pitch. Super yeah, high I, pitch. And I'm not saying it's good or bad. I'm just like surprised. I think he just in his own voice would have been pretty good. So I'm interested to see how I'm going to like that throughout the movie. In all, I definitely agree. Like this looks a lot better than like Dumbo looked. We all kind of knew like Dumbo, Aladdin. Like I think Aladdin, we had high hopes because Will Smith as the genie. Like we were like, oh my God, like this is probably like the best that you're going to do post. A lot of pressure on him too. Right. But like I didn't particularly like that movie. Didn't like Dumbo. Uh, What was a couple other live actions? Uh, Jungle Book was good. Jungle was really good, but the second one wasn't. Uh, Mwagi wasn't very good. That but, that yeah, wasn't this, that wasn't associated with Disney though. Right, right. It was Netflix, okay. but in, in all, yeah, but in all, this looks pretty good. I I'm looking forward to it because it's a Disney Plus as well, so I don't have to go to the movie theaters and see it. I think if it was a movie theater movie, I would still pay for it. But I think when a lot of people in masses go, I don't know. I think Pixar is different, like Turning Red. No one's going to the theaters. The yeah, yeah, right. I think that one, like, oh, Pixar movie, you would have attracted an audience, and that deserves just by the higher class of Pixar. Yeah. This one, right. you can say, oh, the IP. But Pinocchio, how quality is that IP to Disney? I don't think they think that's very high quality, even though 1940, one of their first, like, big uh, animated fit features, right? I think this is the right move. Disney Plus, let's see how it does. I think also why I think this is going to be successful, Disney, with these remakes, has have had a hard time deciding – are they going to make a totally faithful adaption or are they going to put a twist on it? Like if you look at Lion King, all CG characters, incredibly faithful story, still did not perform that well um, in terms of critical reception, made over a billion dollars at the box office. You know, Disney, office. Disney product, product, like it's going to make zillions of dollars. You know, it's just how it works. Uh, but also when you go to Aladdin, you look at the liberties they took with the genie character and the love connection there. And then the also the other side characters and the added like musical numbers that weren't in the initial movie rubs people the wrong way. Here, it seems like it's an old enough project where people won't care if there's subtle liberties that are taken, but it still seems like it's remaining faithful to the story. That's why it's going to be successful. You know? Yeah, I feel like people with Pinocchio they might not have even seen the movie, but they just know Pinocchio as like, oh, they know the story. Knows when he lies, and they he know about Shrek, the real boy, right? And Shrek, I, I I agree. I think they just know like the 
traits of Pinocchio. They don't know the story. So I think that if they just kept it true to the original and just let it fly, like I think it's going to work. And yeah. on a Disney Plus release too, more people see it. Word of mouth spreads, especially on a streaming service that's huge. I think and easier to watch. Word of mouth is easier for that. Translates easier, I mean. I think this is gonna this might be a real big hit if it's at least decent. And uh it's a little bit safer than other animated like uh it's a little bit safer than like the remake going for a theatrical release. And I think uh the one that we missed out on talking about Mulan. And that was that was a COVID right. release that also I never actually saw Mulan. I think it did pretty well critically, right, if I recall, but it also took some liberties in terms of creative differences with the original film. But we'll see how it does. I did want to go to this next trailer. Ricky Flex, did you see the trailer for Mike, uh, Sam Mendes' next film? I did. I did. Empire of Light starring Olivia Coleman, Michael Ward, Toby Jones, and Colin Firth releasing December 3rd in theaters. I just want to – I'll start off here on this one since I gave you the floor on the last one. I think this looks amazing. I don't really know what it's about, to be honest. And it seems like it captures the power of cinema. But I love the idea of Roger Deakins on the camera here. I love Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross on the ones and twos for this movie. And then also Sam Mendes. And then you throw in Olivia Coleman, Colin Firth into the fold. I think this has the recipe to be an awards contender. And we know, like, in terms of Oscars, what do they love to reward? It's like the film going experience, whether it's uh, not just like the film experience, whether it's making of movies, whether it's Hollywood itself. And this one seems like it's capturing the power of cinemas. I'm excited to see it. And I'm a Sam Mendes fan. Yeah, you're a big Sam Mendes fan. I like him a lot as well. I think this is set in the 80s. For me, I didn't see. I I didn't know that. I thought it was set before that. It, I looked, it I, looked earlier to me. Yeah, it looked like the fifties, like pre civil rights era. So I was thinking, oh, Olivia Coleman, Colin Firth, probably married, and then Toby, uh, not Toby Jones, Michael Ward, um, after World Winner, uh, Mike, uh, Michael Ward, um, Black, and I was thinking, oh, him and Olivia Coleman love story, but obviously, like they don't, they. Sh- like people don't want them to be together and they own this big theater in town. That's originally my vibe from it. And then I read the plot line and it's like eighties love story. And I was like, Oh, that can't be it. So I'm interested to see like what this movie's actually about, how they got these characters or sorry, these actors. Cause Olivia Coleman, Colin Firth, Toby Jones, um, Toby Jones, Hydra doctor, whatever. Um, if you remember him from that, uh, ri- but uh, uh, first Avenger and, uh, in the computer during Winter Soldier. Winter Soldier. Right. So that um and then I like him as an actor. Like, I like Toby Jones yeah, too. He's good. He's good. And then in like that minute, like he kind of seems like a weird role, like right behind the camera. That kind of fits his vibe, I feel like. But uh he's like the he next Dinklage. <laughs> <laughs> I'll stop. That. Um no but then, and then and then Deacons. You got Deacons in this movie. It's interesting. Also, December release, right? Just all these different moving parts for a love story movie. I, I'm interested in this, but like, I'm not, I'm not like looking forward to it per se. Like, oh, I can't wait for December third to see this in theaters. I'll be the first one in the theaters. It'll be like, oh, I'm interested to see, like, oh, is this an Oscar contender? Is this gonna play a p- part here? Is Olivia Coleman gonna get another Oscar or something like that? That's what I'm more interested to see. Hundred percent. And I, my takeaway, I think, from this trailer. 
was that Deacons is going to get another nomination from this movie. He's, from anything the shots, he touches now, he's going to get a nom. It seems the like they were Deacons. they were teasing some amazing shots in this movie, right? And then that yeah. per, like when you were capturing like uh, the cinema and like movie theaters itself, and you're capturing a time period that goes with it, the way movies are shot, like it's kind of lining up perfectly for Deacons. You know, a man who's been in the film industry for decades upon decades now and has had so much success. Like, I don't think anyone was better suited for a movie like this. Once we, as we said before, no idea what it's about, but it's got an award season released December 3rd. We'll be covering it. We'll be reviewing it. Last trailer on the trailer roundup, greatest beer run ever directed by half of the Fairley brothers. I think Peter Fairley's directing this one. We got um, a cast as Zac Efron in the lead. Bill Murray in this movie. Who else am I missing? Ricky Flex. Bill Murray. Uh, Russell Crowe. Russell Crowe in this movie too. Major role in this. Uh, is this is this a streaming movie or is this in theaters? Apple TV Plus. Apple September TV. 30th. So, uh, any first impressions from Greatest Beer Run Ever? So, it, so the movie, it's this man who feels like during Vietnam War, I believe, uh, period piece. He wants to make a difference. He's kind of a low life and doesn't feel like he's he. If he can't contribute to the war effort, he's gonna like uh, try and contribute to like uh, helping out the soldiers that are of his age, his friends that are currently fighting in Vietnam, and he's going to bring them beer. And it's a based on a true story. So I guess first impressions of Efron in this role. At first impression was like, what the heck? This is gonna be terrible, right? This because like Farrelly brothers, like Peter Farrelly, like. He did. He's done like some good movies. I'll give him credit. Like, uh, like he's done some good ones. Like me, myself, Irene. Like that was like hit that. And some, there's something about Mary. We're kind of like his breakout ones. Um, was it, are you saying him as the Fairly Brothers or him alone? Well, him as like a producer and writer. Okay. So like, I'll say like, yeah, like he's done some good ones, but he's also done some like you know Hall Pass. You know, Dumb and Dumber I Two. Think they do. So, um, what's the one with Kinnear and Matt Damon? Stuck on you. He did that. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So, like, he's had his hit and misses. So, like, this is going to be a hit or miss, I think. Russell Crowe looks pretty good in this. I think I've watched the show twice now. I actually think Russell Crowe can put in a decent performance. Uh, I'm actually looking forward to seeing him. Zac Efron, uh, talk about accents. We'll see Terrible. New York. It doesn't it's look so good. bad. It's it doesn't so look bad. good at all. It took away from the trailer, in my opinion, was the accent with Efron. Yeah. I don't think it, it was hit or miss. I think it was a miss. And then Bill Murray was barely in the trailer, but like he had that one funny line, which was good. But uh, all in all, like I actually will see this movie. I'm interested. I think Russell Crowe might be good in this um, and all. This won't be anything crazy, I think, but I think it might be worth a watch. I'm just hoping that Efron is worth the lead here because it has like a, a juicy story for like a Fairly Brothers movie. It seems very much up their alley. So, uh, yeah, it seems like it's got has a lot of comedic beats that I can hit. Uh, we'll see if it can deliver. I just, I'm not sold on Efron leading this with a quite a, a quality cast, you know. I, I want him to so bad. I think we draft, did we draft him with the, um, I with the, was it, um, not living up to the hype. Oh, yeah. So I forgot how we labeled that one. It was, it was, it was a mouthful, but I guess, yeah, um, uh, just, yeah, I guess didn't live up to the hype draft. Is that what we called it? What do we say? Not unfulfilled draft. Unfulfilled, unfulfilled potential. potential. And yeah. Efron, let's see if he tries to fulfill that potential that we all thought he had following his role as Troy Bolton in 2006's uh, 
High School Musical directed by one Kenny Ortega. We're so red. <laughs> All right. That's going to do it for episode 137 of the Drive-In Podcast. Uh, if you're listening right now, make sure you follow wherever you're listening on all listening platforms. And if you care to switch from Spotify to Apple Podcasts to SoundCloud, it's all there. Uh, if you're watching on YouTube, make sure to hit the subscribe button afterwards. If you're on YouTube, make sure to also check out the recently uploaded Brad Pitt draft along with the House of the Dragon episode one reactions, both on YouTube right now. Give them a watch. Give them a like. Leave a comment. Do whatever you please. If you listen on the podcast, rate us five stars. Leave us a review. You give us a review, we'll shout you out in the podcast and give you all the love. Uh, make sure you're following us on the social feeds, Twitter, Instagram, Twitter, at the Driving Pod, Instagram, at Driving Pod. A lot of fire content, a lot of fire graphics coming for one Ricky Flex. Um, later on in this week, we have tomorrow, we have She-Hulk. Episode two reactions, we'll talk a little bodies, 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 right? That's in cinemas right now. That's going to do it for episode 137 for Dr. Rell and Ricky Flex. Until next time, we will smell ya.